What's better than this? Guys, vegan dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Saturday edition of the show. If you hear background noise, we're recording this live from our Airbnb, which overlooks a pretty busy highway here in Indianapolis. The yeah. Circle City, that's what they call it. You know that? No, I had no idea. Yeah, they, I got off the plane here this week. They said, welcome to the Circle City, because uh, that's where the Indianapolis 500 is. It's the, the uh, race cars driving circles. And they've nicknamed their city that. Apparently. It's what the pilot called it. Might be the worst nickname of, of cities the ever. Circle City. <laughs> might might be the worst. Um, all right. So Home of the NFL Combine. Why don't you lead with that next time? I think that would be better. Yeah. And actually what our server at St. Elmo's told us that there are the Indianapolis is the city in the United States that has the most conventions yeah, every year. It's the convention capital of the United States. Right. More than Vegas. More than Vegas. Per per the fine gentleman at St. Elmo's. Well, I'll tell you what. You see the Indianapolis Convention Center, it's very easy to see why. Because they uh, got, like, pickup trucks driving through there. And I think they had three conferences here this week in addition to the combine. Yeah, I, that building makes no sense to me. None. Like, I don't understand how something can be so big, have so much going on. Like, what do you think the cost to heat that place is? I don't know. Like the electric bill on But that? what I do know is it's literally a labyrinth. So right. you can go in there, make three turns, and then God bless you trying to find your way back to the same door that you came in if you wanted to leave and come out the same way because that's where you parked. All right. Listen. Yeah. Offensive prospects. Offensive prospects. I want to start with quarterbacks. Okay. And here's the thing. I was I knew we were going to talk offensive prospects this morning. I've spent my morning thinking about what I wanted to say about quarterbacks, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I don't think I learned anything about quarterbacks here in terms of what we were able to see on the field and with what they're testing. Did did anything matter to you about something we saw? I mean, I really appreciate uh that Washington State kids upper body body throwing mechanics, but it's Aaron or Anthony Gordon. I never Anthony get, Gordon. Anthony Gordon. Aaron Gordon's the basketball right. player. I don't know why I get them confused all the time. But outside of that, like what? What we? I don't think from field work we learn much about quarterbacks. If you go to thedraftnetwork.com, Joe, I actually wrote something on February 28th entitled "How to Determine Quarterback Winners at the Combine," and I'd like to read you a little excerpt, a little story time here on Saturday morning as we're all snuggled up recording this podcast. Let's be honest, nothing that happened last night on Thursday's on-field workouts was anything we didn't already know about Justin Herbert or any other quarterback as a player. All of the things that matter for quarterbacks here in Indianapolis are the things that we as the viewing audience on the television screen don't get to see. Because you knew Justin Herbert was fast, because you watched him run zone read and pull the ball and he gouged some teams and... The Wisconsin game in the Rose Bowl. He was effective as a runner, and he's a big, tall, prototypical kid that can move. And he has a cannon for an arm. You already knew that. I And, and I don't want to read into footwork or throwing mechanics. Like it, it's, for a lot of these guys, it's still new. They've been training it two months. So who cares? The, the interviews, the impression you leave on the coaches, making sure your medicals are clean the impression that you leave with the decision makers, those are the things. And from a quarterback's perspective, 
that determine who wins, and we just don't, we won't know who that is until April. Yeah. All right, let's talk about something more fun, things we did learn, things that did matter. What stands out to you? I'll let you go first. Props to Justin Jefferson, man. You knew yeah. I was going to lead with this one. Uh, we heard in the buildup how slow Justin Jefferson is and how he doesn't have good long speed. And I I was a little bit higher on Justin. I have a first-round grade on Justin Jefferson as a wide receiver, and I didn't think he was going to run 4-4-3, which is what his official time was. Joe, he ran two, ten, two hundredths of a second faster than Jerry Judy in the 40. And that doesn't make any sense. And I think if you look at the play speed, of course... I think Judy plays faster. But with that in mind, for Jefferson to come out and alleviate those questions and be able to say, you guys think I'm 4'6", but I have that electronic yeah. timing that says that I'm mid-4'5s. That's a huge win for him and his bid in this wide receiver group to kind of separate himself. Yeah, uh, One of my favorite receivers that performed well here is Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan coming 6'2", 212, 33.5-inch arms, 10 and an eighth on the arms he comes out and, and, and has a historically great vertical jump third best all time 44 and a half inches 139 inch broad and then That's he goes good. out runs 448 and so a guy that Shea Patterson really destroyed his ability to produce at Michigan but when he had chances man you saw really natural ability at the catch point you saw the explosiveness show up on tape I mean his his he had some moments where his above the rim game you can you can see it you can see the 44 and a half inch vert on tape and so I feel like he's been overlooked a lot in this receiver class because it's you know some really outstanding players, but you know I, I think he's definitely in that top fifty conversation. Yeah, I think it's interesting because some of his fans wanted to make a connection with Juju Smith-Schuster as far as his usage and production versus what he could be at the next level, and is he got it maybe a big slot? But Juju didn't have these kinds of jumps, so. Uh, I think it's on Donovan Peoples-Jones to just continue to flesh out his ability to beat press coverage and and uh, his footwork at the top of his routes. But if he gets that down, he has shown he has the explosiveness to not just be a big slot with potential volume going to him in the passing game, but also being a perimeter wide receiver at the NFL level. How about Denzel Mims? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Denzel. because I, I think he had the best day of any wide receiver here with the numbers that he put up. The one that stands out to me, Joe, the most, I know people are going to point to the vert. They're going to point to the 40. That three cone? Yeah. 6.66 seconds at 6.3207 is nuts. Bananas. That is insane. So, yeah, I'll let you kind of let me know what you think about his overall performance. Well, I, I think he's right in there with DPJ in terms of, all right, guys that really did something to move the needle. And, you know, you, you you watch the tape on these guys, you see the athleticism, but you wanted to make sure of it. And I feel like we got that from both of these guys. And I think both of them are players that in this overall landscape of wide receivers, we're, we're, we haven't talked about enough. And I think that's because whether it was, you know, Baylor and that offense and Mims showing, having some inconsistency as a route runner and DPJ and, you know, not necessarily having the statistical production expected for a guy who was the number one receiver recruit, recruit in his class and you know, a five-star, you know, all those types of things. But, you know, I think we're seeing the, the physical skill sets that they have and, and certainly guys that when you talk about teams at the back half of the first round waiting on wide receivers and taking advantage of the depth, these are two of the banner names I'm waiting for. So that gets into Mims specifically and the NFL draft process and what he did at the Senior Bowl and what he's now done at the Combine. 
What's the ceiling here? Well, I mean... <sighs> because it's high. It's high. But and, and I'm not talking about his play at the next level. I'm talking about right, where his he gets draft going. status. See, that's the thing. is like I still think there's enough rawness there that's going to push him down a bit. But, I mean, would you be surprised if the Saints or the Packers or the Bills in the 20s took him? Nope. No, you sure wouldn't. Because he's got better t- film than Brashad Perryman did, and everybody lost right. their mind because Brashad Perryman right. ran 4 Two nine or four three one or whatever it was at the size that he did, and and Mims is equally impressive in stature. Kyle, I think we need to address Albert Okuwebunam. Very and, good, and Chase Claypool. So two tight ends, right? I mean, what do you do with these numbers? They don't show up on tape. No, uh, Okuwebunam looked like he ran four eight when you watched him on tape. He couldn't separate against anybody, and that's that's the difference between straight line track speed and you know functional getting out of a three-point stance and trying to, to work over top of defenders and coverage and I'll give Albert this he's got good ball skills he's got great catch radius he's got good hands and he put up numbers that make you think he might run fast I, I don't know how much higher I would covet him just because I didn't think the tape was good I don't think he blocks very well I think he's pretty ineffective in that regard uh, Chase Claypool is at least interesting for the sense that he played wide receiver. I would like to see him used as a big slot kind of tight end hybrid kind of player. And with that explosiveness that he has, that's a huge testament to him that, you know, if somebody wanted to try and stack on 10 extra pounds, you could be an athletic tight end at the, at the pro level as a receiving tight end, not a guy that's going to put his hand down and block by any means, but he had some good blocking reps out in the, the slot as it was. I thought that was one of his better qualities was his physicality and extension and, and collapsing defensive backs. And now he's got this athletic profile on top of it. And it's he's, they, both these guys, I think, just got to learn how to separate. And I think they're, they're, that task of doing so for each of them will look different because I think Okuwekbonam is pretty lethargic in, in lateral and short area situations. And I just think Claypool's raw. Yeah, well, uh, certainly going to help them a lot. And, and if you believe that they can develop their route running and separation skills, this is going to give you something to hang your hat on. Last guy I want to talk about in terms of receivers is Jalen Rager. And I, I think it's kind of weird that there seems to be some disappointment in something that he did. Um, you know, obviously the, the jumps really stood out. He jumps 42 in the vert, 138 in the broad. And, and so everyone's getting really excited about this 40 time. And the rugs, you know, who's faster, rugs and Rager? And, and Rager ran out and, and did a 4-4-7. Hello, that's fast. That's still fast. Was there ever a moment when you watched Rager on tape where you didn't think this guy was an absolutely explosive, fast football player? I mean, I guess the, the, the agility scores are something that... That's worse than the 40. Right. That that's If you want to get concerned, like talk about that. But, I mean, Rager is, is an explosive football player. I don't think he's as good after the catch as maybe he's billed because of... You know the type of athletic profile he has, um, but I think at the end of the day, if you like Jalen Rager, nothing should change. Here's what does change: I don't think he's a slot anymore. I think you have to play him at the Z, and I think he has to run a lot of your vertical routes, and then he can high point and make up for the fact that he's not super tall. Mm-hmm. But with the agility scores that he has, I want him playing in the Z alignment where he's, you know the guy tasked with taking the top off the defense. And that's what he ran a lot of best anyway, was those go routes and nine routes and post routes and and corner routes. 
that's where I thought he had a lot of his best opportunities, and he, he wasn't targeted a lot of times because his quarterback couldn't get him the ball there, and when he did, the ball a lot of times was inaccurate. Yeah. But for me, Jalen Rager now, I'm going to take him off of teams that I'm looking for slot players because I don't think that's putting him in the best position to win based on I was skeptical of it. I wasn't sure about it. I knew guys like K.J. Hamler would be much more fluid in short spaces than what he is. And now you see the testing numbers. It's like, okay, yeah, let's let's just play him outside and ask him to run vertical routes. I bet you want to talk about your, your Virginia Tech tight end. Dalton Key! Yeah, 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 yeah. My guy, 6'4", 253, ran 4'7", that's okay. But the jumps and the shuttle, my goodness, 4'19"? In the 20 yard, 707 in the three cone. He jumped 10 5 in the broad and 34 in the vert. This is a fun football player. Like, nobody. I, if you, I bet if you Twitter searched Dalton Keene, how many film clips do you think you're going to find on there? Not much. Probably zero. He's got good ball skills. I don't think he's very effective as a blocker, but. Uh, and he, he wasn't a high volume target in that Virginia Tech offense, but. The good thing about playing at Virginia Tech is you're te- you're gonna be able to prove your catch radius because you didn't get a lot of accurate balls. Yeah, and he caught him, and he had good body control in those situations. So Dalton Keene, uh, I thought, did a great job as far as coming out and posting numbers. That's gonna make a team want to prioritize him late in the draft as a potential H back, move piece, special teamer. That's what he had to do. Otherwise, because he didn't have a true role with his hand in the dirt, he was probably gonna be a UDFA. Collect your prize if you had uh, Dalton Keene with better agility tests than Jalen Rager. You, you get all the, all the stuff. I did not. Yeah. Uh, I, I think another tight end I want to shout out is Josiah DeGuaro from Cincinnati. Uh, came in a little, I mean, 6'2", 242, but you kind of thought of him as more of a move tight end uh, to begin with. But I thought he was a guy that really validated his athletic profile in terms of meeting baseline thresholds, 472, 35 and a half in the vert. Uh, seven one five three cone four three five twenty yard shuttle look good in drills. I thought Josiah Deguara, in addition to Dalton Keene, if you're looking for some some intriguing day three depth, I think you can you can really target those two guys and come away pretty happy. Listen, Kahal Warren went in round three. Yeah, I think the I think Deguara had better tape than Kahal Warren. That's interesting. I'm just saying. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah. Um, how disappointed were you in Hunter Bryant from Washington? Uh, yeah, it's weird, right? Like, he showed up at uh, 248, which is probably, I would guess, probably at least 10 pounds heavier than what he probably played at. And you could tell. Yeah. He ran 4'7". That's something, a good point. Yeah. And his jumps were stale, and he didn't break 10 feet on the broad. And, like, this is an athletic, like, explosive run-after-catch type threat as a pass catcher. And I think that I think they they probably steered him the wrong direction to say, "Yo, stack up on weight, and let's keep as much of the athleticism as possible." I would have stayed at two thirty five, right? Because we, we just yeah. keep your explosiveness, right? Be who you are, right? right. Like that, you were successful there. That, yeah, I'm nervous about him. Well, let's see what he does his pro day. If, I mean, if he added a bunch of water weight and sloppy weight, and they they run it back off of him, and he finds couple extra inches and maybe drops a tenth off his 40 time like it'll change that conversation want to talk running backs running back the running back y'all let's go jonathan taylor right yeah 439 
I mean, we thought he'd be 4-4. I mean, to break to get into the 4-3s, I think, is really impressive. Um, I, I, we knew he was athletic. Uh, we knew he was big, and he proved all of those things. Um, so, I mean, obviously, if you were a Jonathan Taylor, you know, RB1 person, you are loving what you see here. Uh, I think in a lot of ways he, he validated the, the belief that he was big and athletic and explosive with his testing. Um, obviously, I think the concerns with Jonathan Taylor really stem from the fumbles, stems from having 968 touches across three seasons at Wisconsin. And so uh, he can certainly hang his hat on consistency. I wrote a story about that and how that distinguishes him in this class. But I think Jonathan Taylor putting an exclamation point on a really outstanding career, you know, three Big Ten rushing titles, and uh, uh, really validating the, the really dynamic size, speed, profile that we thought he had listen the most impressive thing jonathan taylor did this weekend was break the joe marino coverage curse here at the oh NFL yeah you're Combine. damn right jesus man you want to walk us through some of the names here it's it goes back to last year it's like every player that i interviewed at the podium and then wrote a story on they just <laughs> bombed their testing isaiah isaiah isaac nada trey adams you know a new poster boy for, yeah for the this year's trey adams of course jacob eason um, there's other names that are escaping me as at this current moment, but uh, I, I, if Jonathan Taylor—that's what you said last night. Yeah, if Jonathan Taylor is bad with his testing, yeah, then I'm Joe's just out. not allowed to interview any more yeah, players ever again. Kicked right out. Terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, so talk about your boy Cam Akers, man. Hey, first round grade on Cam Akers right here. Yeah. Feel real good about it right now. That's after you do. After the uh, what they call it, the Deuce, the Deuce Daily, the Deuce drill. Daily drill. Yeah, yeah. Man, he he was on a pogo stick. Just pretty effortless there. Beautiful. Ran ran four fours, uh, thirty five and a half inch in the vert, over ten feet in the broad. So the explosiveness was there, and he did it at two seventeen. Yep. So I mean, it's it's not quite as it, Taylor pressed it. Taylor posted slightly more impressive numbers with like an extra nine pounds on his frame. So like that's credit to Jonathan Taylor, but. Cam was smooth and the feet were fast, and and I really think he's a guy that's being slept on as potentially being a top three back in the class. And I know there's some folks in the fantasy community who who feel that way as well. And and I think the combine was a great chance for him to kind of declare himself and be like, "Yo, I'm here too." Yeah, I think yeah, just kind of blitzing some other names here. DeAndre Swift did well for himself. Yes, he had a good Georgia day. back. Even AJ Dillon out of Boston College. Neither one of you are you or I are, are big fans, but what do you have? A forty-one vert, and then he runs four-five-three. A massive human being, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he mean, had a, a good jump too for the broad, I believe. Yeah, he so uh, one thirty-one in the broad, forty-one vert, four-five-three at two hundred forty-seven pounds. Now AJ Dillon still got to figure out uh, the timing on his cuts with his one-cut yep. style. Yep. That's going to be a big thing for him, and really doing more to influence the second level. I think he's got a lot of work to do there. But if you can, you know, is I got to give Jordan Reed, our colleague, NFL draft or draft network. Him, him talking about Dylan filling that Gus Edwards role in the Baltimore Ravens yeah. offense. I mean, that's the type of thing where you can really get behind this guy. And then he gets really scary because he's 247 pounds doing that. Right. So, right. yeah, that's a, that was when Jordan pointed that out, that felt like a really right. exciting proposition. All right, what you got on these offensive line, Tristan Wirfs, Freak? Uh, yes, confirmed. Absolute stud and star. Um, I'm watching you try and figure out how to get the filters off. Yeah, there you, you know, go. I'm Thank you. Really struggling here. Tristan Wirfs. Everything he did was awesome. The field drills were good. The testing was good. His build, his density in his lower half. Now I know our our, our colleagues in the industry, uh, Pro Football Focus, comped Lavisca Chenault to Saquon Barkley. <laughs> 
from a build perspective, Tristan Wirfs might be the closest thing to Saquon Barkley with these freaking thighs he's got running around out there. Both of Barkley and Wirfs. Holy cow! They and were Ky- and Kyle Krabs. Huge. No, I'm big calves. I'm not big oh, calves. Yeah, oh, my, okay. my calves. Right. I got the cankles. I haven't focused on rocking the, the cankles. Yeah, uh, yeah Wirfs, uh, 36 and a half, which was a record for <laughs> offensive linemen, I think. Right. Yeah. And over 10 feet in the broad, there's just stupid explosiveness. I would have really liked to have seen what else Mackay Becton could have done if he didn't, I, I believe it was a hamstring. I saw him walking off at one point with a bag, ice bag on him. You're passing the bees. There you go. Well, Beck did five, runs 5-1 five, at yeah. six seven three sixty four. Right, but like, well, I, wanted, I wanted to know what his jumps were, yeah. but I don't think he jumped because he had the hamstring thing. Um, yeah, I mean, both of those guys really – and I thought Andrew Thomas and drill work and, and running, the, I think, 5-2-5, five, five, I think it was a really good time for him. I was I was quite impressed. And Wills, holy shnikes, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a joy to These watch. These guys him. are as advertised. Yeah. And as I said, you know I'm going to have to say it, Imagine spending two first-round mm-hmm. picks and a second-round pick for Laramie Tunsil so that you could pay him $20 million a year this offseason in this offensive tackle class. Imagine, right? I can't. I can't imagine. Uh, Whoever got those those two ones and a two must be thrilled. Jonah Jackson, Matt Hennessy, Cesar Ruiz, three of my favorite interior yeah. offensive line Hennessy prospect. had a great day. Yeah, all three of them. Drill, drill work was good. They were they were fast in their, in their testing and... I think those are the guys, hey, you need a starter on the interior offensive line. Those are guys you're going to focus in on. Uh, what about uh, – scroll back up a little bit. I had I had a name. Ezra Cleveland. Oh, Ezra Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, it was the one I wanted to come back to. Here's the deal. If you liked Ezra Cleveland coming into this week, you're stoked. If you, like me, did not like Ezra Cleveland coming into this week, you are very confused. And you're going to have to go back to the tape and rewatch this one because the athleticism – is pretty stunning across the board. He ran yep. sub five. He was at three eleven, uh, thirty on the bench press. He didn't have good functional play strength from what I saw, and so now it's like, was that due to framing issues and and footwork issues, and he just wasn't tethered appropriately? I don't know, but uh, Ezra Cleveland definitely put a, a star next to his name with his testing and potential to make himself a lot of money for those teams who are ready to buy into what his potential can be. Yeah, so offensive tackles as advertised. We had some of the interior offensive linemen pop up. I mean, Ezra Cleveland certainly sending people back to the tape. And so um, good good work for the offense overall. I mean, I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time, obviously, talking about disappointments, but I think I think we in a lot of ways it was good confirmation from what we've been talking about and seeing on tape. Biggest thing you learned this week from an offensive prospect here at the combine, on or off the field? Oh man, um, the biggest thing I learned from an offensive prospect. It, I I don't know why this is standing out to me, but I have no idea why this Princeton quarterback is here. I mean, none. Well, I mean, just unbelievable. We can't get Tyler Huntley or Bryce Perkins here. We got this guy. That's a good point. Can't run in, a flat in, route I in mean, just, that. Tyler Huntley, I think, had enough good tape right. at his disposal that he earned the right to be here. Um, mine was there. There's some whispers of the apprehension around two a little bit, which is interesting. That's I'm not going to open up that Pandora's box to talk about it now, but, but that you, but you are. But no, I'm not because we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna shut this podcast down. But that was because we're finishing up the offensive side of things. We you talk to a lot of people up here, and people talk to other people. And it's not just in the scope of the Miami Dolphins. 
there's just like everybody's kind of like let's wait and see you know the media seems to be really ready to you know throw them back up into the conversation say hey well should the Bengals consider taking two and the rest of the league's like can we see him throw first like let's just slow down a little bit is that what it comes down to I mean he's going to throw footballs again and people are going to be reminded of what we saw on tape and he's going to the Miami Dolphins at five I don't know I don't. I I really do not have any clear vibe, and that, uh, that's probably the way the Dolphins want it, right? Like they mm-hmm. they don't want to have that clarity anymore. And if if it if they are still truly still intent on Tua, then they've done a masterful job throwing the scent off this week, because yeah, good way to put it. now there is this big speculation. Apparently, a source told the the Sun Sentinel that Tua walked out of his meeting with the Dolphins. Said, "Baby." Maybe they want Herbert. I don't know what just happened. Is this a joke? It was like, one of the all-time weirdest articles I've ever yes, read. Yes, yeah. it was. And it's I think you read that article, it's pretty clear who that came from. Right. Don't you think? Yeah. When the last quote in the article says, "Didn't change his mind, Tua, Miami's still the spot for Tua." What side of the fence do you yeah. think that article came from? It was weird. Who do you think's talking to the media on that one? So, yeah, there, there's a lot of dynamics there and that'll be a really fascinating conversation to see play out, but not today. We gave you guys a special Friday episode of Draft Dudes. We hope you enjoyed it. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino will be back on Monday. Breaking down. Oh, we got takes on takes on Monday. Yeah, takes on takes Monday. And then Tuesday, we're going to be breaking down defensive prospects like we did today. Lock it in. We're done. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, thanks as always.